Welcome to the How Writers Write podcast, a show focused on inspiring and empowering you to become a better writer. Come along as we deconstruct the tips, routines, and motivations of your favorite authors. In the end, it's all about getting your story onto the page. Welcome to episode 99, How James Wade Writes, part two. As we make our way to episode 100, I am so excited to welcome back the one and only Mr. James Wade. James Wade is a novelist and friend of Happy Writer, friend of the show, and I absolutely love any opportunity I get to connect with him. James is a wealth of writing knowledge. He is an example for so many of us who are fighting to get those books done, to get them published, and to get them read in the world. Not only is James been on this journey and have we been able to witness it with him, uh, James is incredibly gracious, humble, kind, shares everything he knows. I really can't say enough for James, his work, and just how happy I am that I got to talk to him again. I hope you enjoy this episode number 99 with James Wade and I want to say a special thank you again to James, not just for this podcast, but for all of the things that he does for our little community, teaching classes, writing blog posts, just so many things. Thank you, James. And now, my friends, without any more further ado, here is episode 99 with James Wade. Welcome to the How Writers Write podcast. I am your host, Brian, and today's guest is so special. I really am so excited to interview the one and the only Mr. James Wade. James is an award-winning fiction author with 20 short stories published in various literary journals and magazines. I did not know that before I wrote this intro. His debut novel, All Things Left Wild, was released June 16th, 2020 from Blackstone Publishing. His second novel, River Sing Out, also from Blackstone Publishing, was released on June 8th, 2021. He has six additional novels forthcoming with Blackstone Publishing. James spent years as a journalist before serving as a legislative director at the Texas State Capitol during the 83rd legislative session. He also worked as a lobbyist on behalf of water conservation in Texas. James lives outside of Austin with his wife and daughter. James is also very active with Happy Writers who teaches, he's taught many classes. I think you have the highest class count for us. Um, just wrote a blog post for us, and I am honored to have James back because I think you're one of the greatest people I've been able to associate myself with kind of through this endeavor. James, welcome. Man, that was a hell of an intro. I appreciate that. I, I've got a lot to live up to just based on that, those couple of minutes. Uh, no, thank you for having me, man. I'm so excited to be here and excited to, to catch up with you. Yeah. And- uh, and talk to folks, man, about yeah. writing. That's the best thing. Right. Yeah. And, and you know, it's interesting. I was thinking about how we came in, in contact with each other. And, um, you know, we did a, pod, a podcast about a year and a half ago, um, give or take. And I don't think All Things Left Wild was out yet. Or if it was, I think it was pretty recently out. Um, and we had kind of like, I don't know how we were kind of communicating or whatever, but I remember opening the podcast i was in brooklyn tells you how long ago that was two 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 lives ago and i just think remember within like five minutes being like 
oh, this is a good one. Like this guy is a good one. Like I, I like this guy. A lot's changed, James. A lot has changed in the past year and a half. Yeah. I mean, we, <laughs> you, you were getting ready to move from Brooklyn to Denver. Uh, I, I think my daughter had just been born and I think all things left. I think you're right. I think either it was like coming out the next week or it only been out for a week. So I still really had no idea what to expect <laughs> from, from anything, you know, yeah. uh, from, from, the, from fatherhood or writinghood at that point. Yeah. Yeah. Two, uh, but two yeah, no, life two, changes. two and two lifetimes ago, yeah. like you said. Yeah. So let's, let's start there. Um, you, this is what's fun about this. And I, as I was thinking and preparing for this interview, I was like, boy, this is a fun thing is being able to touch base with you now a year and a half later, kind of getting into this um, place that so many writers wish they were. You have written books. Those books have been published. Six more books, additional novels forthcoming. It's amazing. Let's just start with like how in the past 18 months, outside of a kid bombing everything and changing your life around... <laughs> From a writing perspective, how how have you changed these past eighteen months as these kind of new developments have happened to you? Yeah, that's it's a good question, and, it, and I think it's one that calls for a <laughs> a little bit of uh, perspective. Just just from looking at it myself, is you know it moves everything moves so fast, even mm. though the publishing industry is you know historically and notoriously so slow. But when we spoke, All Things Left Wild had just come out. And I knew at the time that I had two more books. I had signed a three book deal with Blackstone Publishing um, after they read the manuscript for All Things Left Wild. But and at, by the time All Things Left Wild came out, I had written the other two manuscripts in that three book deal. So in other words, I had fulfilled my contract. And as, you know, as far as I knew, it was a toss up as to whether I would ever uh, not ever write a book again, but, yeah. you know, uh, be able to write a book without having to go start at square one, basically, and have to go pitch it again and try to, you know, sell it to a publisher and all that. Um, and so when all things left while came out, we, we got some good feedback uh, from it. You know, we picked up a couple of nice awards. Yeah. Uh, the, the the Spur Award from the Western Writers Association and the, the Reading of the West Award from the Mountains and Plains Independent Booksellers Association, which was a great one for us because that relies a lot on booksellers and indie bookstores, and so you know that was that was a big deal for us because we just we love independent bookstores so much and the the folks that you know put in the blood, sweat, and tears to to selling books and uh, and not you know going to the moon and rocket ships or whatever, but. Uh, you know, all, so all that stuff happened. And then we kind of leveraged that, I guess, uh, with my agent into a new deal with Blackstone. And we were hoping just for another book or another, you know, maybe three more books if we were lucky. Um, but they were able to bump it up to five books. And so that changed it. Well, it changed the, you know, the thought process a little bit. And, um, in a way it was good in a way, maybe not so good because everything became a little less urgent. I think right off the bat is, you know, you realize, okay, you're going to be able to write five more books. And so all of a sudden I felt like maybe I don't need to pour everything that I'm thinking into, into the next book. <laughs> yeah. And again, that's good and bad, right? It's good because, you know, you can maybe take your time and, and parcel things out a little bit more. 
but also not so great because I think, you know, necessity breeds innovation and, and desperation some okay. often breed, you know, uh, leads to good writing. And so, you know, I still wanted to approach the work with the same sense of urgency. And so, so that's what I'm trying to do, but to a long way of answering your question, like what's changed the most as a writer is now when I'm writing, I know where it's going. You know, I know that, okay, I'm writing this and I know it's going to have a home, at least in some form or fashion. Got it. Um, you know, my editor uh, and then my publisher also, you know, still have a ton to say about it. I can't just, I can't just write crap and expect it to get published, but, <laughs> <Here> you, go. <laughs> uh, you know, I know when I'm writing it, that, that there is a destination that's already insured to some degree. And I've never written that way before. Right. Yeah. I think most writers don't. Um, and, and so that's, it's it's a little bit of a of a new feeling to kind of work through a little yeah. bit you know because yeah. i don't want that to impact the writing but i mean we're just we're humans right and so it does it does impact it a little bit to where i know i've seen reviews both good and bad i've i've seen the way that books are marketed and and promoted and all that stuff and so that can't help but seep in a little bit um because as much as i want to be this independent rogue artist or whatever uh i think having the kid now most uh most importantly has made me be like okay i do need to keep the electricity on right. for at least at least half the year you know right yeah cold, you need 50 right yeah how how a couple a couple follow-ups from you what or how has your writing strategy had to change now right because now you have deadlines and expectations. Um, do you find yourself being more pragmatic about the work, less pragmatic? Are you thinking about, and I'm going to ask a third question, but you don't have to answer. We'll get to the next. Are you thinking about like, okay, this is, this is going to have to sell. There, there's a business that now attached to it where, you know, first books or whatever, there's much less of a concern for, you know, the, the productization of your work. If that makes sense. Sure. Yeah. I mean, and, yeah. I, and I'll, I'll tell you this quick anecdote because I think this, I think this is something that doesn't, that happens probably a lot, but maybe doesn't get talked about, um, you know, in, in kind of the, the writing circles. But uh, you know, I just, when I signed my first contract, I think the only thing it said was same, uh, like the only requirement for the, for the future novels was same length and tone, same length and literary tone as all things left wild. And so other than that, there were no guidelines. And I took that pretty much to heart and, and started, you know, my second book, River Sing Out, whereas All Things Left Wild was a historical Western. River Sing Out is modern kind of Southern Gothic-y crime fiction. Um, and then my third book kind of jumped back into a little bit of the, the Western genre. Um, and when I sent it to the publisher, you know, they, and I'll, and again, I, I, I wish more writers would talk about this, but yeah. I'll, I'll be the first to say the publisher was like, Hey, this is not really what we had in mind. Right. Um, and that was crazy to me. Not that they said that, but that, because I had not even thought of that as a possibility. I had not thought right. that, Hey, I'm going to, I'm going to spend a year of my life on this project. And then when I send it in, they're going to say no. Right. I thought once you had the contract, everything's good, you right. know, and, and that's, that's my own, you know, naive, uh, naive perspective showing there, but you know, they were like, no. And so, basically it was like we need they were the ones that were like we need to be able to sell this and we don't think slow burn literary 
sweeping deal is, is going to really work right now. And, mm. and so that was a tough one to swallow a little bit. Um, but at the same time, kind of like w- what I was just saying, like, I, I have to, you have to just go, okay, well, I can either be very proud and, you know, stay on my own path here and then maybe not be able to have this as a career yeah. or I, I can play the game a little bit. And, and it's not like I'm writing a completely different genre or anything. I mean, my books are always going to be literary, um, but just basically they were just said, the publisher was saying, Hey, quicken the pace a little bit. Um, yeah. We don't want to lose the reader. And, you know, I, so I agree with that a little bit. Sometimes, sometimes not so much as a reader myself, I like to stop and put a book down and think about what I just read. You know, I don't always have to be flipping the pages. It doesn't have to right. be short chapters and cliffhangers and all that uh, for me, but I do get where they're coming from. Cause like you said, there's got to be some pragmatism to it. And, you know, I signed a contract, I was given, you know, in advance. Yeah. And so, <laughs> so all of a sudden it is as much as people, you know, want to say it's, Oh, it's such a privilege to get to write. It is, but it also is a job because all of a sudden you've, you've taken money from someone that right. makes it, you know, makes it a job and uh, it makes you in some respects beholden to them. Right yeah. now, if I was, Cormac McCarthy with a national book award and, and films made out of my books and all that stuff, then sure. Maybe I can have a little more leverage and go back. And, and if that day comes, then I'm sure my publisher would be happy to accept a slow burn literary epic. Right. As opposed to something a little more thrilling, but, um, but yeah, so again, all that is a long way. Of, of saying that I have become more pragmatic, but not necessarily because it was my idea, right? I was just, right. I, when last we talked, I was still so new in this that I didn't even know what I didn't know. And I'm right. starting to learn, I'm starting to learn the things that I don't know right. um, and, and starting to, to realize, you know, just kind of how much I still have to learn and how much I need to trust other people um, because they have, analytics and numbers. And, and a lot of times I think when, when a writer is told to change, you know, even just a little bit, because again, they're not asking me to, you know, completely up in the way that I do things. Um, But when a writer is asked or any artist is asked to change just a little bit, there's an immediate negative reaction. And there's like a thousand memes that say, stay true to yourself and all this shit. And that's fine. And that's not necessarily the worst advice in the world, but it doesn't always have to be that. I think there can be some positive. And I think one of the things that that we forget, whether it's, you know, when you're talking to your agent or your editor or publisher, these folks want you to succeed, not just out of the goodness of their heart, maybe, but because if you succeed, they succeed, Right. right? They're not trying to sabotage you. They're not, you know, they want what's best for you because it's also what's best for them. And most of these folks are true professionals and they have, and you know, they have experience and, and they're, they're telling you these things for a reason. And so, uh, so yeah, I think it's, it, it's, in terms of the way I approach the writing, it has become a little more, uh, pragmatic, but I don't necessarily think that's a bad thing. Yeah. I think, I think what's really hard in the writing game, and I'm not, I'm not here to, to say there's a right or wrong way to do this. I mean, I think what's really hard is, you know, you work on something for so long, you know, you put so much into a manuscript, you edit it and you think about the character, you're talking to them at night, you know, all the things. And it's hard sometimes to separate yourself from the work. And a lot of times as writers, when we, when we 
get to what we feel is the end, we kind of feel like it's not that it's perfect, but it's as perfect as potentially we could make it. And so to hear, to hear that maybe it's not perfect and that it does need some more, uh, Abby has the best word for this zhuzhing, which I just, every chance I get to say the word zhuzh, I say it, a good zhuzhing, um, that can be a sting. That said, that kind of feedback is kind of part of this game, right? Published or not, you're going to give, you're going to get feedback. How do you deal with it? Realistically, not like, not platitudes, like realistically, how do you take hard feedback and use it to push the work forward without it crushing you and making you feel like you want to punch somebody in the face? (laughs) (laughs) Man, for for me, it, it takes a little time. Honestly, yeah. I'm not, I'm not great at it yet. I'm not, yeah. um, you know, all that, all that, all those things I just said, and I, and I hope it didn't come off as a platitude, but all those things I just said were arrived at with time. And also it's not, it's not a permanent feeling. Like I still, to this day, so I, I have a, uh, the, my third novel that's going to come out next year is with the publisher right now with the editor. And we're, we're, uh, kind of just the, on the tail end of it here, we've got maybe one more round of edits that we're going to do in the next month. And, uh, and you're absolutely right about it. Maybe I take it first. What's crazy about it is I will, when I'm writing, I will not even necessarily think my work is all that great. Um, I think that's just, again, when it just comes to any type of artist, I think that's part of the game. Part of the territory Mm -hmm. is you'll have moments of supreme confidence and moments where you are confident that you are terrible. Um, and so, but it's kind of like, one of those things where, you know, you can talk shit about your work, but other people can't <laughs> like, like, I, like I'll look yeah. at a manuscript and go, ah, oh, you know, I don't know. Like I, there's some really good parts, but I think it could use some work. And then somebody else could say the exact same thing. And my first reaction again, as a human and as a human that's evolving and trying to be better, right. my first reaction is defensive, you know? Yeah, and it's like, yeah. what do you mean? This is, th- yeah. this is perfect. Even though I would have told you five minutes before that it's, it's far from perfect. And so uh, so that's the first thing is it just takes time to like, just take a step back, get some perspective. Again, it's, it's so easy to take things personally. Like you said, when you have put so much into mm-hmm. it, um, and depending on what the criticism is too, you know, I mean, um, for me, you know, a lot of it is, and this is not just from my publisher, but, uh, or editor, this is from, uh, you know, you look at Goodreads or Amazon and all that stuff and people say, don't do that. But again, I'm a human, I have an ego and I read that stuff and, and my reviews are, are really good, right? There it's, it's four out of five stars with, with hundreds of reviews, right? So there's, there's, it's not like I'm getting panned, but what do you think that I, you know, there's more with me. It's not, (laughs) it's not the five, it's not the five star reviews. It's the one, it's the one star or the two stars or sometimes even, the kind of like in between reviews that are like, this could have been really good, but, and then, you know, they go after it. And so, and one of my, one of the biggest criticisms uh, of my work has been a little too much philosophizing a little too much. That sounds like the writer's own voice and not the characters. And like, that is kind of personal, right? It's like, Hey man, maybe keep your ideas (laughs) out of this book. And uh, you know, and I, and you can take that so personally, but again, it doesn't help it doesn't help the writing. It, it, you know, it doesn't help to take it personally. And it certainly doesn't help you when you sit down to try to take that criticism and actually make it better. And so one of the things I found aside from time um, is that 
is, is the trust part of it, man. Just the, even if I don't agree with something, just trust that these people know what they're doing and know what's best. Because at the end of the day, if we put out a book and I have bitched and moaned and kicked and screamed and put my foot down on everything and the book doesn't perform well, then I'll never know what might've been had I just listened to those voices, you know, that, that are trying to do it. Um, and, and if the opposite is true, right, let's say that I, that, that you listen to everything, every critique that you get and to the best of your abilities, you implement that criticism, you work to get better and you make the book as good as it can be. And then it still doesn't do well. Well, then at least, you know, that you didn't self-sabotage at least, you know, that you tried it, you did it. And then maybe that gives you more leverage, more strength, whatever to, to do it your way the next time. Um, you know, because that's, it's a tough thing. Uh, you know, we talk a lot both in happy rider and in some of the, the other forums that I teach class. And we talk a lot about re- how to deal with rejection, but it's also important to kind of learn how to deal with success when all things left wild is winning these awards and kind of being lauded as this, you know, great novel. And again, I didn't, I'm not saying it's a bad book, please go buy it and read it if you haven't, but <laughs> I didn't think it was great. I thought it was right. a decent first effort. That's what I thought. You know, it's, it's a decent first effort. It's the first manuscript, you know, yeah. that I ever wrote. And so, but when you start getting all this feedback, especially the stuff that is very ego stroking, um, that speaks directly to those things, which you've received criticism about. So if somebody says, well, there's too much philosophical writing in this book. Well, then if I, if I read something, you know, uh, from library journal or publishers weekly that says, you know, uh, the beautiful prose and philosophy or something like that. Right. Then I'm like, yeah, see, I, I knew that I knew what I was doing right. and I knew these other people were wrong. And so you start to block out the negative criticism, which is what you're taught to do, which is a good thing. But how do you filter then the criticism that's coming in? That's just trying to help. And so all of it, it comes down to a balance, man. It comes right. to everything in life, everything in writing uh, comes down to a balance. And it's yeah. about how, how you deal with the success and the rejection. And then also how you keep the, the, the negative criticism out, but, but allow space in your, in your work and in your mind uh, right. for, for positive, you know, constructive criticism. Yeah. I, I hear, I hear a lot of balance and I also hear, um, a lot of active choice too. And I think this is a a topic, the more we can circle around this when we talk about writing, you know, writers talking about writing. So around this concept of active choice is really important because um, if you don't choose what you want to put your focus on and your energy on as a human, you'll probably default to something you don't want it to be. That doesn't serve you. And I don't know why we're that way. I'm not trying to make a statement that I have that answer because I don't. I don't know if anybody does. Um, I'm sure some evolutionary biologist could come up with some answer, but I'm not that person. (laughs) You know, and what's tough when you're doing tough things like writing books is being really deliberate on where you put your focus and, and then what you decide to take from it. And so much of it really, at least, at least to me, and the more I get to study these writers and I'm on my own writing journey myself is that decision. You know, what is it I want to, what is it I want to take with me here? But it's hard. I mean, it's, 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 it's hard to, to, to not um, fall into what is our natural state, which is to focus right. on that negative. 
Yeah, and it's and you and especially if you don't have examples, right, of of right. what to do or what not to do, and that's why I think it's so important. You know, I feel like a lot of writers, especially writers that are starting out early in their career, are so worried about being a little more genuine about the behind the scenes process. Like we can all, you know, share the meme about the a funny meme about editing or, you know, this or that. But at the end of the day, like we want people to think that when our book, that each book that we put out is the greatest thing that's ever been written because we want them to go buy it because we need to put food on the table. Right. right? Not the money. <laughs> um, but, but every, but every project is so difficult and, and the majority of books that come out, even the good ones, even the ones that sell a ton of copies and get great reviews, they still have some problems. They still have some stuff that, that the author probably wishes that they could change or that they pulled back and forth on with publishers and editors. And, and I think being a little more open and honest, but I mean, it's just like with anything, if you keep it in the dark, you don't talk about it, then it becomes this thing that just grows even larger. And so I've tried when I have the time to go back and whether it's through, uh, you know, academic books or through papers, you know, at, at colleges from uh, collections of, of papers and um, letters from, from authors that are at university libraries and stuff. Try to look at the process from other writers, from great writers, you know, writers that are better than I'll ever be and see that they did the exact same stuff right. too, right? right. Nobody, right. nobody is just gifted uh, with the perfect novel and then they just put it on a silver trade to their agent who then you know wraps it in, in satin and gives it to the publisher you know like some right. some ancient offering and right, you know the right. publisher just pop, you know puts it out exactly like that and so you know and my, my hero is it's not much of a secret if anybody's ever heard me say more than like two sentences about <laughs> writing is, is Cormac McCarthy and so there's yeah. this there's this wonderful book let's see if I have it back here um, Cormac McCarthy's Literary Evolution is the title, and it's basically this in-depth uh, look at his papers that are at the Whitliffe Collection, actually right down the road from me here in San Marcos, Texas, and uh, and it's it goes through all the correspondence he had with his uh, with his editor Albert Erskine and uh, and his publishers, and then later on his agent. And the different ways that they argue back and forth of what to cut and what not to cut and even just the philosophy. Right. Um, and what you saw was that in the beginning of his career, McCarthy was a lot more likely to to kind of acquiesce to what the, the publisher was wanting and to what the editor was wanting. And then as he got a little further along in his career, um, not necessarily to the point that he was the you know literary icon that he is now, but just as he got a little more confident in his, ability, his own abilities and a little more familiar with the process, he started to put his foot down a little bit more, right? And to think of a literary giant having to right. take those baby steps is something that is it's very comforting, right? Because again, once we get these writers or these novels, once they get to a certain place, we think, oh, they must have just started there. Yes. When that's yeah. not the truth, right? Yeah. Everybody started at the bottom and and I try to think of any other industry or any other craft, like what, you know, what young person or new person comes into an office building and starts telling everybody the way it's going to be right. Like, okay, I'm going to do this my way and to hell with the rest of y'all. And we, I don't care about institutional knowledge and I don't care about, uh, you know, tradition or any of that stuff. And while sometimes a little disruption can be good, right. I'm not saying that you should just put your head down and, you know, and not think for yourself, but, 
but that would just be, that would be so uh, arrogant, like just egregiously so. And, uh, and so, yeah, so it's comforting to see yeah. some of those, those titans of the industry um, and see where they started and see that they've had to, to grow their own confidence and, and career. And, uh, and because then it's humbling, right? Cause then it's like, well, who yeah. the hell am I to, to make, right. to pitch, pitch a fit, uh, you know, about this or that when, when some of the best to ever do it have, uh, you know, have basically gone, gone with the flow a little bit early on. Yeah. So that's, you know, that's, that's one way to do it. Again, like you were saying, it's, it's a really tough thing to do. And so that's, again, that's just another tool for the toolbox. It's just know that other people have done it, seek out those people and they'll tell you hopefully, right. That's the big thing is I want, I, I hope that people are willing to be just super honest about the bumps in the road. You know? Yeah. that That's honestly, I mean, what you just said is one of the big primary reasons I started this thing in the first first place. Um, before I went and got my degree, I remember I had this, this really strong perspective about what it, who, who are the writers in this world? And I pictured them in a very certain way, you know, and I went and got my degree in creative writing. And then I remember at some point it clicked on me. They were all geniuses. They were super smart. They were great storytellers, but they're humans just like me. Right. And, And they started somewhere just like me. And I realized, you know, there's a good chance most people who don't have access to hearing the types of conversations I got to hear, you know, in my degree would probably be so intimidated to even try and start because they're like, well, I'm not like them. I'm not like them. I'm not smart like them. I didn't come to from a pedigree like them. I don't have the fancy degree like them, all the things, you know, and it was just like, we, we, we can do better than that. And so you saying that kind of hits home for me just because like, that's one of the primary parts of this whole podcast is just to be like, listen, everyone is on this journey. I've started to think of it this way. I started to think of it like, as a, if you think about like a line going from a bottom left-hand corner to a top right-hand corner, right? An arrow. A lot of times we think that's, that's how the, the journey of something goes is it's like this straight line. And I started to think of it as a straight line, but all the time there's like these little loops that go back in the line. And there, and so there's, there's times when you're going up the line and then you hit a snag and boy, do you go way down. And the, the point of the whole journey is, and the point of the whole, this whole spiel, what you do at the bottom is really important, right? What you do at the bottom is important because, because with growth as a person, you can get back up to that line and then go even higher, knowing you're going to get another bottom and you're going to have to grow even more and grow through that pain. And so, yeah, it resonates with me quite a bit. I want to ask you this, if you could go back to the James, maybe even before we first met, before I first interviewed you the first time, if you could go back and kind of give yourself a couple words of advice before this journey really kicked off for you, right? Before we got, you know, publishing online, getting all these book contracts, right before that moment, what, what do you think you would say to yourself? Oh man. Um, you know, this, this may be a point that you and I have talked about before. I know I've talked about it elsewhere, but it would just be that whatever, whatever satisfaction I think I'm going to get from the, from each level of this journey, from each Mm -hmm. step in the career is, is not going to be, there's not, there's not going to be satisfaction unless I work at it. Like, unless I actively work, not at writing, not at the career, but at the satisfaction part, right? Like we work so hard at writing, we work so hard at our craft, but we think that if we do that, then the happiness 
and the satisfaction we get from it is just going to come naturally with each thing. Like I remember when I was writing all things left wild, I remember thinking, God, if I, you know what, if I can just finish this manuscript, cause I'd, I'd written a ton of short stories and had success doing that. But like the a novel seemed like this white well, you know, that I was never going to be able to like finish an 80,000 word manuscript. And I was like, if I can just finish this, I don't care if I never get an agent. I don't care. You know, it doesn't, I don't care if I ever get paid for it. Like I'll self publish mm-hmm. and I will have a book launch party for the ages and, and <laughs> we'll, and we'll celebrate the fact that I, you know, if I do nothing else with my life, I wrote this book, right? I wrote a book and, and here it is. And then when I finished it, I almost, I mean, it's wild how quickly my mentality went to, well, if I can just get an agent, right? Like yeah. if I can just get an agent, then I'll know that somebody else out there thinks yeah. this book is, is, is yeah. worthy. And then, and then, and then it just kept going, right? If I can right. get a publisher, if I can get a book deal, well, if, if I could win this award, if, you know, and, right. and, and the thing is, most of those things happened, right? I mean, you know, I, 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 I'm not on the New York Times bestseller list. Uh, as far as I know, DiCaprio has not called to, to <laughs> star in, 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 you know, the movie. But I had success. I, I've had success that I honestly never thought I would have in in the literary world. And so if you had told me back then to even just two years ago, Hey, this is where you're going to be in two years. Right. Um, Oh, by the way, the world's on fire. Um, But, but but this is where you're going to be in two years. Then I would have been just out of my mind thrilled. Right. I would have been so excited. And yet fast forward to today and I'm, you know, I find myself being like, well, you know, I, I, I need this book to be better or I need these sales to be higher or I need to, you know, uh, find ways to get more exposure and, and, and all that stuff may be true. Right. And I'm, I don't want to just completely rest on my laurels, but if, if I find myself doing that, that I'm not actively working on the happiness and the satisfaction yeah. that I get, that I should be taking in coming to work every day by just sitting down at my computer and actually being able to do this for a living, which is just insane. Right. And, and so I, and I, and I'm happy that I still think it's insane. I'm happy that I still realize how much of a privilege it is. Um, but definitely at each step along the way, I could have been doing a better job of, of reminding myself of that so that I take pleasure like in the moment, you know what yeah, I mean? And it's, totally. and it's kind of, we were talking, we were talking about this off air, so to speak earlier yeah. about traveling around in, in our RVs. And, you know, it's one of those things where like, if you just think that like happiness, and again, this is an old trope, but if you think happiness is at the next destination, then you're never actually going to get there, right? Like you have to find happiness on the journey. And so, yeah, that's, that's what I would tell myself is just make sure that you're, uh, that you're looking for happiness and not just waiting for it to, to come to you based on uh, some, you know, some goal in your head or whatever. Um, because even if you hit those goals, it, it's just, you're just going to be looking towards the next one. And again, what we talked about, the last thing I'll say about it is it, there is a balance because you do want to look toward those right. next goals. You right. do, you do want to get better. You do want to achieve more and there's nothing wrong with that. I don't want to insinuate that that's like bad to have ambition. Um, but if you can't find that balance between, you know, ambition and satisfaction, uh, then it becomes obsession and obsession is like the bad part of ambition, right? You know, we don't, yeah. we don't want to do that. We don't want our ambition to turn into obsession. And so, 
so yeah, that's that's my piece about that. And you know what? And I probably would have told myself to shut the hell up uh, because every writer I know that's like, I'm not going to, they're not, no writer is necessarily that much better or worse than another, but any writer I know that is not at their point in their career to this where I am. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yep. So, <laughs> so writers that are, that are just starting out, they're going, dude, shut up. Like you don't have anything to, to whine about. You don't have anything to complain about. Um, just like I'm looking, I know some of my friends who are writers who are uh, more successful than me. And again, the, how do you define success? But like they've sold more than me. Let's put it that way. Sure. Um, and they'll complain to me about stuff and I'm going, shut up, shut up. You right. don't need to be complaining. And so it just, it's at every level we want to get to the next level and it just, it, it can really, it can really unravel quickly on you. I think if you yeah. don't uh, stop and take your time with it. I, I think this is also, um, you know, when we're, we've done a bunch of live events together and, and, you know, been, been in lots of stuff. And I think this is why whenever we do live events and whenever we're like doing QA calls, which are always like so fun and dynamic, the one thing I always try and get, get through, cause this semester we've heard so much um, is like, you know, you don't know how much you're going to sell. You don't know if you're going to get an agent. You don't know if you'll, the book will be bought. You don't, there's so many things in this life. You don't know. Um, there's so many things you don't control. And that's why, at least to me, at least in Brian language, that's why it's so important that you at least really um, take what you can, which is pure joy in the act of creation itself. You get to sit down and imagine something and express yourself. And, um, you know, I'm not, I'm not like religious, but, you know, I always think it's interesting that like the first verb in the Bible was created, right? It's a powerful word that we do. It's a powerful thing that we do to bring something into reality. And just taking joy in that is about all you can control as a writer. The rest start, you start to get, you start to get real slippery after that. You know what I mean? That's right. And, and I think, I think it's, it's really important. You know, we are, a lot of us, and you want to publish and you want to sell books and you want to make a living and you got to eat food and pay a mortgage and kids have to wear clothes. You know, those are normal human things. So I'm not saying there's not a financial component in that, but there's also, I think you've been saying it a lot. There's also, um, there's that balance of being like, there's also the work and the joy in the work and in, in just enjoying what you're doing. So you're like, boy, I, I did something I, I liked here. This felt good. Anyways, so um, I hate to say this, but it's time for me to wrap us up. No, no, this is gonna this is gonna be. Let's do a let's do like a three part episode. We'll, we'll just do like keep a, recording. We'll tell people we'll to come just, back next week. We'll just do a bender. <laughs> just 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 start just start going. Yeah, um, we should do that. I, I I've actually had a couple ideas specifically <laughs> for you um, that I've had. I'm I'm. My wife pointed out to me the other day, and I, I never realized this until she said it. And she's like, you literally, you come up with endless good ideas that it overwhelms me. How many times you're like, you know, it's a great idea. Um, so I'm trying to like bottle those up more. I'm just writing them in a list. I'm like, someday I'll get to you. But um, we should do like a bender. It'd be really fun to do like a three hour, just just go deep philosophy of where where does creativity and writing come from? And, do, you know, our spirits talking to us and all those things. But, oh man, yes. If we if we go if we could go down like an existential let's go. Uh, gnostic rabbit hole someday, yeah. you just 
you just let me know and I will, I will mark a day on the calendar. <laughs> yeah. Let's just melt down. Let's just <laughs> go right down to nihilism, come right back up into some meaning. Just, just let it all go. Yeah. Just let it all go. Um, with that said, I, I'm going to ask you a final question. So I have traditionally said the final five last week, I added a sixth one in cause I loved it. Um, and so I'm going to say the final six now, cause here we are. I keep, I'm like every year I add another question and start out the four, then it's five. Now it's six. Um, so I'm going to dive into that and, um, that'll kind of bring us to an end here. So let's do this. So here's question number one. This is the new one. As you see it from your perspective, what is your role as a storyteller in this world? Mm. That is a great question. I see why you like it. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's a real punch to the face, isn't it? Yeah, it really is. <laughs> I, I, I think my, I think my role as a storyteller today on this, on this day, this evening, um, I would say is to, is twofold. It's to, uh, make people think and then also to, work out my own shit. (laughs) Those are, those are the two things that I always end up coming back to when I'm writing is, is that I want, cause I'm not going to say that anybody can, can, you know, write good prose, but like it's a craft and people can learn craft. And, and so, uh, so the things that I think make it unique to me is when I'm writing, I, I want to challenge people without necessarily being, aggressive you know uh i don't want to be an asshole but i do want to challenge them i want to challenge their preconceived notions and beliefs things like that but in doing that i'm also working out my own issues like my own you know writing is cheaper than therapy is like the you know (laughs) old adage or whatever and and it's true i mean uh you know it helps to talk about stuff well it helps to write too and so a lot of times i have my characters struggle with the same questions that I struggle with in life. And so those are, those are my two roles. And so one is to the reader and one is to myself, which I think is a good thing. I think if you're a writer, I think you have, I think you have a dual citizenship of, of sorts to where you are beholden to, to yourself, to be honest. Um, and then, but also to, uh, to your reader, to either tell a good story or to challenge them, or if you can do both more power to you. Yeah. I love that. I love that. It's, it's, um, I was thinking about your books as, as you said that I was like trying to now like kind of unpack some stuff, you know, this, this is like the problem that I read everybody who I bring on the show. And so I'm like always thinking about their work as they're giving me answers, but different topic. <laughs> right, question number two, what is the one word that best describes you? Oh gosh. <laughs> <laughs> I have a feeling you thought of a word and you didn't want to say it. <laughs> I did. I thought yeah. of two words. I thought yeah. of two words. I'm gonna yeah. go with the second one. I just okay. anxious, man. I think anxious, anxious. describes me. Anxious in in both the the negative and the more neutral connotation, right? Like I'm I'm anxious. I'm full of anxiety, way more than I should be. Mm-hmm. Um, but also anxious in in that kind of more neutral way to where I'm I'm just I'm excited. You know, I w- I wake up nervous a little bit about what. Uh, life might bring, but excited about what the day might bring, if that makes sense. Like I, you know, I, I, I worry about some of the larger things in life, but I really don't sweat the small stuff, right? Mm-hmm. Like, like if you want to have a conversation about like death, then man, I'll, I'll work myself into a worried tizzy. But right. because of that, 
everything else seems completely insignificant, which means that I don't sweat it and I don't worry about it. So, so I'm like, I'm like anxious to see what kind of new fun things the day is going to bring. Um, but also anxious in the, in the more, <laughs> in the more negative term about, about what my life might bring. So there, yeah, yeah there you go. My God, I don't know what it is about you specifically, Brian. I get way too honest on this stuff. I just, <laughs> I, I'm drinking seltzer water. I'm not, one too, not seltzer, one too many seltzers. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, I'm just um, literally just drinking water. So I, I was going to say, we'll, we'll add we'll add the topic of of our mortality. I, I'm at, so it's funny. Um, so so just as so really quick, James just wrote um, our first guest post on the blog. We're standing up a blog. We're going to start writing um, tons of amazing writing content. Um, one of the essays I've had I've had baking in my mind for a long time is the relationship between death and writing and storytelling specifically both as a balm to storytelling as a, or I'm sorry, as a balm to death. Right. And then understanding death through the lens of story through the, through the three act structure. Um, but I mean, we'll add that to our existential meltdown topics. <laughs> Absolutely. Okay. Question number three, if you had to pick a spirit book, so this is a book that here we go. If you died and you were reincarnated again as a book, this is the book you would pick and it cannot be your own one of yours. This is the one caveat. It's gotta be somebody else's. You know, I don't even remember what I said last. Uh, it was definitely last time we talked, but I'm pretty sure all the pretty horses, if I remember. Yeah, I, I was going to say, yeah. but it, but it was probably all the pretty horses, yeah. and and it it probably still would be. You know, I think here's what I think. I think all the pretty horses on a on a day where I am neutral or slightly optimistic, <laughs> and then maybe and then maybe maybe Suchery on a day still by Cormac McCarthy because I would have I would have to stay in his canon, but. Uh, but then on maybe suchery on a day that I'm less okay. optimistic, I'm never, I'm never so down on, on the world that I want to, that I would want to do child of God, you know? <laughs> so, like, so like, those are, those are the tears of yeah. like, of like McCarthy reincarnation would be all the free horses on a good day. Suchery on a, on a bad day. <laughs> yeah. Your wife sees you reading all, all the, um, child of God and you'd be like, honey, is everything okay? Like what's, what's going on in your life? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay, question number four. Is there a specific tool? Can be anything at all, pencil software, chair, anything that you absolutely must have to write. Nah. <laughs> I, I try not to uh I try not to put too much into into that because then if I don't have it, like, you know, I know some folks that have to light a candle, which I enjoy doing. Right. I know some folks that have to write on pen and paper for their first draft, which I'll take notes, but I don't know. That's too, that's too slow for me, but, uh, but yeah, I try not to have any one totem or, or one necessity because that way, if I don't have it, it's not the end of the world. Right. Um, right, but you right. know, I have rituals, man. I have like, my mom is one of the millions of duped Americans who are like obsessed with essential oils. And she, <laughs> you know, she gave me this roller, uh, called uh, tranquil and you like, you roll essential oils on it. I could, I could take or leave essential oils. I don't care, but it smells good. It's like it a lavender great. smell. Right, right. So I like, so I like to roll that and give it a nice smell. Uh, I, I like to light a pignon candle, you know, okay. get that good yeah. pine smell yeah. going. Reminds me of home in East Texas. So that, so I have a lot of little ritualistic things, but if ever I am in a position where I don't, you know, I'm unable to do that. I, I'm fine. I could write, you know, I've written on planes before just on pieces of paper when I don't have my laptop and, 
you know, I, I don't know. I think if, I, I think as, if, if you think if you are serious about something, you'll find a way to do it. Even yeah. if, even if everything is not perfect. Totally. Totally. Um, we kind of touched on this fifth question, but just let's, let's just give it a bullet or two. How do you deal with the constant ups and downs of the writing life? Man, it's, uh, I'm gonna, I can't wait to go back to our old episode and see how I answer these. Um, I know we should match it for me. (laughs) Yeah. For me currently it is, uh, it is a little bit of distance and a little bit of perspective and most importantly balance. Uh, you know, I think handling success, handling rejection, good news, bad news, uh, any of that stuff if you can take yourself out of it for like just a few minutes, man, it becomes so much less important than a, the world around you. Like for me, my wife, my daughter, like just, just life in general. And then B the writing itself. Like you touched on it earlier. Like if I, if I experience a significant up, it's, it shouldn't change the way I come to work tomorrow or at least the the craft, right? Like if I believe, if I believe that this is the best way to write a sentence and this is the best way to approach my work, then good news or bad news should not change that belief tomorrow. Right. Mm. It should, I should still believe this is the best way to write a sentence and this is the the best way to approach the craft. And, um, and so there's a little bit of distance that sometimes I need to take because I can get, you know, I'm a, I'm a fiery ass Texan, man. I get fired <laughs> up talking about writing. Yeah. I get fired up, you know, with all this stuff. And so anytime that I experience an up or down, I, I can easily slip into if it's a, if, you know, either being defensive or being maybe too full of myself or, you know, whatever. And so uh, I'm, I'm happy to eat some humble pie occasionally. And, and uh, you know, and that includes, so the, there's one thought, I'll run through quickly. It's like a lot of people say, like, if something uh, bad happens, it's like, uh, you know, oh, yeah, he was humbled on that one. Right. And so and I get that. But I also think there's like there's a humbleness or there's like a little bit of humility um, to reacting negatively to negative news. Like, in other words, I'm. I'm asserting that I am so important in in the life of my readers or my publisher or something like that, that they have taken so much time to offer this criticism towards me. And so I'm going to get so upset um, because I because I'm so important. You know what I mean? And right, like, right. And so so when you so when you look at it that way, it's, it just seems kind of laughable. And it's like, no, you can there can be humility in going, wait a minute, like that's, I probably shouldn't take that personally. Right, right, it's probably, right. they, they probably didn't put that much thought into, you know, this, this quick little feedback that they're trying to give. And so, uh, so yeah, I, I just, a little bit of distance, a little bit of humility, I think can go a long way for either good or bad news. And, and then it just shouldn't change. It shouldn't change the, the way you approach the work and, and that allows you to keep it consistent, you know, and keep your work consistent. Right. Yep. Yeah. I love that distance, humility, two hard things to practice. All right. Last question. Yeah. Yeah. Two hard things to practice. Yeah. Um, Here's the last question for you. If you could give one piece of advice to new writers out there, what would it be? I don't know. Don't listen to other writers trying to give you advice. 
Um, no, it's, it's no, we touched on it earlier, man. It's just that, that everybody, I mean, your point, what you said, uh, uh, was perfect. You, you know, there are no, we're all human, right? Like that's, that's the best advice. We're all human. The only thing we can do is the best we can do. And if you're a, a new writer or a young writer, um, and you love writing, then keep doing it. Find a way to keep doing it. Um, because maybe, maybe someday you'll get a big break and everything will be awesome. And just as you dreamed it, or maybe not. And either way, it doesn't matter because you'll still get to, you'll still get to write. I mean, one of the things, Brian, that I remember, as you can tell, there's a lot of stuff I forgot since last time we, we did this, but one thing I remember is something you said because I stole it and I've used it in so many conversations is that if you, if you love writing and you you really take joy from it and it brings you happiness, then all of those outside things that you can't control don't matter because you have, and this is what you said, you have a lifetime of writing to look forward to. And so like, that's dude, I mean, it doesn't get, it doesn't get better than that in terms of, of advice, which is just, if you love writing, keep writing because then you get to keep writing. I mean, it just, right. it's, it's a cycle, right? It's just right. the, the more you write, the more uh, you get to keep writing. And and that's just, God, that's a beautiful thing, man. And, yeah. you know, I know I would have to go get a, a quote unquote real job uh, if, if, you know, if I never published another book. And so I would do that for my family, but I would find a way to write. Even right. if I was, even if, you know, even if I knew ahead of time that I would never be published again, nobody would ever see a single word that I wrote. I would find a way in the middle of the night or early in the morning or something to, to keep writing. And, you know, until the day that they drag me away, kicking and screaming to the, to the asylum, which seems, seems closer and closer uh, every day. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, yeah, just don't just, please don't stop writing. I think that's like the saddest thing to to ever happen is is when folks really enjoy anything uh, and they stop doing it. Yeah. It's, it's interesting. It's interesting. You say that I've been, I've been studying the hero's journey a lot. Um, and you know, both, um, Vogler's book and then, and then just the source, right. Going right to Joseph Campbell, um, who has had a huge impact on me, both from a writing perspective, but just a human perspective. I understand the world really well through, um, Campbell and Jungian psychology. Like those are things that just make sense. They resonate with me, but what's interesting about the hero's journey. The one thing, the one thing that always stands out with me is the hero starts pretty much they, they end pretty much where they started. They just, they just have one little extra piece of information. They, they, it's a circle. If you actually look at it, it's a circle. It's not aligned to somewhere. They don't wind <laughs> up somewhere. Um, they, they wind up bringing something back, some piece of truth back. And that's what makes storytelling and myths so powerful, fables so powerful. And I think so often in this writing journey, the more I get to talk to people and talk to people, you've know, been able to interview people with hundreds of millions of books in print, right? Phenomenal amount of books, right? They go to the moon, probably if you stacked them on top of each other. This idea that what you're still left with is the joy in the work, the joy of creation um, is both terrifying because, because you already have it, right? It's already there. You don't, you don't need to be published to have joy of creation. You don't need an agent. You, ju- you just need to write. You just have to write. And there's something comforting and also terrifying about that. Yeah, that's right. It's like, there's no, there's no one coming to save you, right? Like there's no, there's no moment that's in the future. That's going to make you happy. Like you have to find that, that happiness. And, 
And to your, to expand on your point, that so often the thing that the hero brings back is whatever that piece of information is, whatever that wisdom is, usually brings them a piece that they, that they didn't have at the beginning of the journey. Um, and, and so often it is not the thing that they were looking for, right? right. It's not the thing that they were searching for that, yeah. that ends up bringing the piece that they, that they sought after. And so, uh, you know, and again, you said this earlier, I'm not acting like I, <laughs> I, hope, I hope it's not coming off like I have the answers because I don't, but that is to me, that is the single biggest joy of writing yeah. is, is going in knowing I don't have the answers exploring the questions just for the sake of creating, for the sake of exploring those questions. Um, and, you know, in trying to find a piece in that, it's like trying to find a, a piece in knowing that I'll never have the answers, if that makes right. sense. Right. Like knowing that the answer is not out there and being okay with it, you know? Yeah. So yeah. anyway, yes, yeah. we do at some yeah. point sit down and let's go, let's, let's go full it. philosophy on. <laughs> let's do it. Yeah. The, the, the last thing I'll say on that, cause I just think it's an uh, important thing w- w- when you really, I think when you start to let storytelling become your identity as a storyteller, what you do is, is you, you have to radically accept your own humanity, your imperfection, your genius, your, your uniqueness, but also the fact that you'll never quite be more than human. And again, that's one of the things that, that both boil my brain and also make me feel really comfortable. <laughs> I, I don't have to be perfect. I just am a person. I, I'm just a person, you know, again, ugh, everything's a dichotomy. <sighs> okay, James, I got to do this. We got to go. <laughs> All right. It's always such a pleasure to talk to you. I know. I know. It's always such a pleasure to talk to you. I um before we go, I just I just want to acknowledge some things in you. First is um you you have such a radical openness that the first time I talked to you is super refreshing. It's why we have, you know, kind of courted you to do everything we possibly could within Happy Writers, because um I believe it's through, you know, leaders like yourself that people can can step into maybe activities they wouldn't have. And that activity is to pick up the damn pencil. You know, that is what we're here to do is inspire, encourage you, pick up the pencil. You have a story and tell it. Um, and so I so appreciate your, your openness and your wisdom. Um, it, it's so refreshing and I, it's, um, it's, it's a balm for me as well. I, I schedule this and I'm like, this is for Brian. This is Brian hour. I get to just <laughs> talk to Jake for an hour. It's Brian hour. So I deeply appreciate it. Thank you so much for sh- being on the show. Uh, yes, yes to, to, to all that, but, uh, but the inverse, man, this was, <laughs> I, as, as much as I hope there's somebody out there that can take something, uh, from this, even if, if it's just that I'm absolutely nuts, uh, <laughs> it, you know, I, I did this because I was looking forward to talking to you again. I love the questions you ask. I love the thoughts that you present. It, it seems like more often than not, you're, I, I ramble on and try to make a point and then you very succinctly like summarize it at the end of it. And so part of this is I'm just doing this so I can go back and look and listen to the recording and go, <laughs> all right, so I'm going to steal that. And that, that way next time I'll sound a little smarter when I try to make that point. Um, but no, I love, man, I, I love talking to you. I love uh, being involved in happy rider. I think that's just such a unique, there are so many writing groups, writing platforms out there um that are just kind of going through the motions and doing the same old stuff and and boy happy rider is not that um yeah. it is it is so refreshing uh to use the word that that you use to see 
what you and, and Abby are doing to actually foster the creative spirit, right? I mean, you yeah. got like the instruction is awesome. The craft stuff, I mean, is second to none, but it's, it's, the, it's the creative spirit of, of openness and, and acceptance uh, and encouragement that y'all have yeah. over there that is just like, man, it's just so, it, it, it makes my spirit uh, book want to be all the pretty horses and, and not child of God. You know what yeah. I mean? Like it's just, <laughs> it, may, it, may, it makes the day happy, man, when I yeah. see uh, what y'all got going. Well, so thank you so thanks much. for having me, man. All right. Thank you so much. It's been, it's been great, James. It's been great. Yes, Thanks. Thank you again to James for his time. If you haven't yet, please go ahead and leave us a rating and review. Also, I'm on Twitter now. I'm tweeting a lot. You can find me on Twitter at the underscore Murfinator, M-U-R-F. I-N-A-T-O-R. I'm liking Twitter. I'm digging it. So you're going to see me on there quite a bit. I want to say thank you so much for listening. And I hope you have a wonderful, wonderful week of writing.